meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is The Radiance of the Moment. In this episode, we are reminded that behind the clouds, there is always blue sky. Even in chaotic times, meditation helps us relax into the radiance of the present moment. Today we are joined by Laura Sims. Laura is an award-winning performer, writer, and educator, advocating storytelling as compassionate action for personal and community transformation. She performs worldwide, combining ancient myth and true life story for adult and family audiences. She is a member of the Therapeutic Arts Alliance of Manhattan and is a senior teacher of Shambhala Buddhist meditation. This talk was recorded in 2015. Here's Laura to take away the discussion. In the book, Shambhala Principle, that the Sakyang wrote, he was asked to write it. It was the one book that many students said, couldn't you just sort of sum it up? (laughs) And... There's a wonderful chapter, and he starts it by a, a, a memory of being with his father, Chögyam Trungpa And he, when he was a young man, he asked his father, you know, growing up with a guru, you would be thinking about enlightenment. And he said, uh, you know, Dad, <laughs> am I going to get enlightened? And Trungpa said, yes. And maybe the sake was 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> and he said, like, when am I going to get enlightened? And Rinpoche said, now. <laughs> <laughs> so you can read the chapter to see what the Sakyang said about it, because it's a beautiful little chapter. But I laughed out loud because I thought, isn't that so simple and so outrageous? that it's now, it's that moment when we remember. (laughs) Radiance, I looked up the definition of radiance. I have one app, (laughs) which is a dictionary. (laughs) And and, um, I looked up radiance. And the definition that I loved was a a warm light that shines through and illumines the dark. A very classic metaphor for enlightened mind, for basic goodness in Buddhist texts, in Shambhala texts, is the blue sky that's always there behind the clouds. And it is 
illuminated by the sun. So I thought we could really turn that image inside out and say that the basic goodness that we connect with, we access, or that accidentally is uncovered while we practice and then afterwards is our sun. It is a, a quality of energy, of, of light. In fact, it's described as luminous. It doesn't have solid qualities. And that all of those clouds, they are our thoughts that get stuck and moist, <laughs> foggy, murky. Dull, and sometimes they're not even clouds, they're, they're a thick wall that is feels as if it's so impenetrable that it would be a waste of time to attempt to disturb it in any way. But when we're practicing, what we're practicing for is a kind of trick. It's a tricky personal business. <laughs> because in the practice, by having a technique and a discipline, because if we just sat down and... We would never experience the difference between the dullness and the radiance. So the trick is that we actually begin to experience that radiance. We begin to experience space. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it happens over and over during a period of sitting. Sometimes it's a little like, you know, pockmark that occurs. <laughs> Sometimes only in the last second that suddenly we let go and I boing. And then you think, oh, if I could just be sitting for another half hour. But thank goodness I'm not. <clears throat> So that we have in that practice so that in our everyday life for the 23 and a half or 22 hours or 20 hours for those of you who are obsessive meditators. <laughs> I'm joking. Humor is very good for radios. That it, it becomes more of a familiar experience in our lives. And we actually begin to know the contrast. If we didn't know the contrast, if we didn't have the experience, then all we would do in those moments of intense fixation and grasping onto habits or painful, self-tormenting storylines or however you would like to describe it. If we didn't have some contrast, then there'd be no reminder that actually we could have a place to open into, to go to, like we could have a well, there's a Haitian story about 
a girl who accidentally drops a ring in a well and a red fish comes up and gives it back to her. And it's a red fish that talks because it's in a story. But this red fish named Tezan, mon ami Tezan, my friend Tezan, actually brings water up from the water beneath the water. It is perpetually clean and pure water. And so that's, that's us. We have a little red fish, a reminder <laughs> that actually can bring up for us or bring us to or open or uncover or access even a glimpse of this radiance on the spot that allows us to melt some of the hardness of what is driving us in our lives very often. And, I mean, it doesn't matter that we could sometimes justify it because sometimes situations really are bad and difficult. <laughs> but the bravery and the outrageousness of beginning to be familiar with that sense of light or radiance allows us on the spot to relax and actually to make the journey because the journey is acknowledging what it feels like the thickness of our preoccupations and it is a perpetual personal journey and what can motivate us and particularly in these times when you know, holidays are coming up and some of us may not have somewhere to go. And so it's a great excuse to drum up whatever feelings of isolation we have that isolate us even further. Or annoyance <laughs> for whatever. Or such extreme excitement that we could barely relate to anybody. This helpful? So I was thinking about its radiance. It is um, that the natural life force of basic goodness is radiance. And with it, we connect. We connect inwardly which is what we've been talking about. But the other thing is that we connect to others. Our eyes become like the sun. We connect. There is a sense not of just sort of seeing, but just being there, regardless of who that person is or whatever situation you've had with them in the past. There is a moment where you can actually communicate and connect, and it is really um, disarming. And it may be the root way that we can unravel not only some of our own habits of depression, or whatever the habit, whatever shape that cloud takes. Sometimes it is so thick with suffering. And sometimes it's just a kind of ordinary schmoo of, you know, neurotic glue. <laughs> Doesn't matter. 
It does matter in a sense. Some people suffer so deeply. But but we can connect. And in the moment that we connect, then we actually feel better. There is a feeling of health or well-being in the connection itself. I know we've all experienced that. It's not like it's just Shambhala. You come here and then you get a diploma in it. If it wasn't true, we wouldn't come here to sit. (laughs) And we'd actually charge a lot more. (laughs) We wouldn't be fundraising. (laughs) Because it's ordinary. It's simple, and but it's outrageous because it actually takes courage to do it. What's, so the path is having the courage not just to do it, like, it's, okay, now I'm radiant. <laughs> Got out of that one. But it's more that the path is... Why it's outrageous, it's because we're going to actually feel, explore, um, taste what the cloud is like. We're going to harvest, in a sense, what we just like about ourselves most. Even though we're so attached to it, we do it over and over again. So it's a path because that's how we strengthen an understanding. So in the emergency moments where we flame up or we don't know what to do, then we can pause, connect, can be enlightened. Look at the word enlightened, radiance of the moment. And it's life-saving for us and for others because at some point when we are able to stay with the quality of what is going on, not we don't always figure out like where in my childhood did it really start going wrong. <laughs> Although sometimes those insights arise and they arise with space and they arise with tremendous compassion for everyone involved in the situation. And it just doesn't have as much flame around it. It's like, oh. But more it just arises. And we can look and see the difference between what happens when we're in it or it's on us. That's what it usually feels like. Or it doesn't even feel like that because usually when we're in it, it's so real. (laughs) It's so powerful. I know everybody has felt this. It's so powerful at the moment when we hate ourselves or the moment when we really feel that that person really did us wrong, even if it's a memory from 25 or 45 years ago, it's like, oh, so real. But there's some place, some little smoky notion that like the cracks in the wall where the light comes through, said Leonard Cohen in his voice. 
beautiful voice. <clears throat> and um, I want to give you an example of actually experiencing how powerful that connection of radiance is. I don't think it was in this room. I think it was in the Shambhala Center when it was Dharmadhatu in another place. But it might have been in this room. And the 16th Karmapa, who was the Karmapa before the Karmapa now, the last reincarnation of the representation of compassion. And it was a hot summer and it was really, really agitating because it was so hot in here or wherever it was. And the whole situation was late. It was late. And so you could see that everybody was really fresh and there like those days, you know, dress up clothes, which we were encouraged to wear. And it was too hot for the clothes. And it was like getting on. And like, where was he? And like, what the hell was this? And nobody wanted to be in the room anymore. And there was whispering about, you know, don't they care about us? And um, this is so disrespectful. And I really like want to get out of here and let's go get a beer. And then we come back. And like, who wants to listen to these guys in rubs anyway? And, you know, on and on and on. This is the, the intense annoyance gossip that I know none of you have ne ever experienced in your life. And it was just like getting on too much. It was too much. It was like, all right, already. It was just too much. And in my mind, I thought, okay, another two seconds, and I am out of here. What am I doing here anyway? I was born in Brooklyn. I lost everything. Well, what am I doing here? I got to get out of here. And then all of a sudden, boom, the door opened. And the Karmapa walked in. And everyone forgot their frustration. It was, we didn't understand him, but it was like the sun walked in or, or like an orange, like a large, fresh orange popped out of Florida, boom, in the room. And I'm not being mushy about this. It was, he was so present. It was so alarmingly present and radiant, that everything fell away. And I, moments before, where I thought I can't sit up anymore, I need to like have like a stretcher and like some iron holding my head up and I need like, you know, safety pins on my eyes. I have got to get out of here. I need band-aids everywhere. I was suddenly, where I was sitting up straight, I was wide awake because it was pure presence connecting. And so we woke up. And it was, it was so simple and so outrageous. I simply forgot how upset I was until somebody made mention of the conversation we were having moments before he arrived. That's what we are capable of doing every moment. Usually we don't every moment. <laughs> but Knowing that that is available changes everything in our lives. We could go for a week being distressed and then suddenly remember or decide 
The last thing in the world I want to do is go over to the Shambhala Center. It's so annoying, those friendly people. It will blow everything. And then you walk in, and everything is, even though there are annoying things, this space is created so that when we come in, that reminder of radiance occurs. It's a protection. It's part of the reason why I think we're all so nervous about not having a place to go. (laughs) Because it is kind of an oasis, like a... You know, a filling station. (laughs) But that filling station is actually in each one of us. (laughs) We are the sun. We are the sun. And um, you really want to hear me sing, don't you? No, you don't. But... um, What would happen if we could all remember that? What would happen on the streets if we could remember that? What would happen if we all practice so much and really work with our minds so that we're in situations and we walk in and our presence is alive with connection and everyone sits up although they don't know why. What happens in a conversation when you're actually there listening? So... I think that's my talk. I mean, the opposite. I think we're all familiar with the opposite of radiance. And so it's so funny that we don't easily choose it. (laughs) But we don't, because somehow we're addicted to the other. (laughs) I'm purely speaking from experience here. (laughs) So for some reason, we need each other and we need to return to the cushion as often as we can (laughs) so that it becomes more familiar in our everyday life. And we become that potential radiance in a situation. One other small story is that um, a longtime Sangha member, a dear friend who left New York in the mid-1990s, died the other day. And his partner is not a practitioner. And so while he was dying, I happened to call her. And she was so frantic and so um, worried because she didn't know what to do. And at that moment, I was so grateful because it wasn't that her franticness 
It's like, wow, look how frantic she is and how calm I am. It was more that that quality was so familiar to me that I could pause and come back to my own sense of presence and really listen from that place, even over the phone. My voice could be filled with that presence for her so that slowly she relaxed and I could give her instructions that it was really okay not to know what to do. That all she really had to do was be there. And I could feel in her voice, in her presence, even from here to Texas on the telephone, her body filling with natural radiance. And that's all she needed. It is our treasure. So we have a lot of um, we have a lot of opportunity in holidays to um, really lovingly, tenderly, and forgivingly <laughs> notice our own arisings to be a laboratory for ourselves. And sometimes you feel like you're sitting on a powder keg because you may feel suddenly angry or frustrated or an enormous overwhelm of something. But that's a moment where we could actually become curious about it. Okay, what does this really feel like? And by becoming curious, what we're actually doing is not dissociating from it, but giving space enough that we become the observer as well as the observed And in that space, we begin to melt some of the hardness and let the radiance up and out. We could even breathe it up when we need it. And those are some of the tools we're given to just feel it. And if you feel resistant, say, isn't that interesting? I am resistant to cheering up. Okay, I'll try it for a second. Then I'll go back. Because even trying it for a second, we have no idea how it touches the world. Our own radiance, it has effect. Like the butterfly wing that causes a storm across the world. So it's my invitation. Just my praise song for radiance. It's my rap lyric. So let's do the best we can. And um, hope to see you all out there around the table eating vegetables. So we'll bow. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. 
Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.